Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. If you are a new listener and you just joined us, welcome. I have a gift for you. I curated the list of 101 activities that you can do to spice things up in in the bedroom. You'll find the link in the show notes. I spent months and months drafting it. I hope you'll find it helpful. Today, we're going to talk about your sexual stories and the narrative you have around your sexual experiences and sexual past and how it's impacting your sexual experiences now because language plays a huge role in our internal experiences and big part of our sexuality is our our experiences and how we are relating to that. So our guest today is Dr. Molly uh, Winterroad. We're going to talk about what is sexual stories and how you can change the narrative. If this is a narrative that's not working for you, if you've been having disappointing relationship, disappointing sex, this is your opportunity to rewrite the story. And sometimes things can change as easily as you changing your narrative and your relationship with them. And you will notice a huge shift in your sex life. So as I mentioned, our guest is Dr. Molly Winterroad. She's an advocate in providing affirmative care, is dedicated to creating a safe space for individuals and partners experiencing challenges with their sexuality or gender are able to explore this aspect openly and honestly with care and compassion. Currently, Dr. Winterroad is a postdoctoral fellow in human sexuality at the Center for Sexual and Reproductive Health and is devoted to helping clients to overcome sexual and relationship challenges by improving the connection with partners, enhancing relational intimacy by focusing on desires, and identifying new ways in which to bond that fulfill each person's needs. Currently, Dr. Winterroad is a postdoctoral fellow in human sexuality at the Center for Sexual and Reproductive Health and is devoted to helping clients to overcome sexual and relationship challenges by improving the connection with partners, enhancing relational intimacy by focusing on desires, and identifying new ways in which to bond that fulfill each person's need. You can find her full bio in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Molly Winterow. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Dr. Molly Winterow on our show. Dr. Molly, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Mowali. It's so wonderful to be here. I'm, I'm really excited for this opportunity. So I am you. excited too. And I was telling, uh, telling you how envious I feel that you live in Hawaii. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to move there. <laughs> I know, it's hard to complain, definitely. So <laughs> Does couple have issues, sexual issues in Hawaii? It's hard to believe. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. It's romantic. You got the beach. It's, yeah, it's hard. It's challenging to, you know, imagine 
imagine, but I, I guess it impacts everybody everywhere. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's good that it's job security for us. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree, definitely. So, as, as I shared to you in the introduction, we're going to talk about sexual attitude and sexual attitude adjustment. And it's so common that I see, at least in my practice, the way people are thinking about themselves around sex and sexuality and mm-hmm. the language they use, it's really impacting the quality of their sex lives. And sometimes it's, they have a hard time believing that how, how these kind of minor changes in the language and belief and thoughts can be drastically changing their sexual lives and relationship. So please tell us how does one's attitude and belief impact possibly the quality of their sex life? Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with you. I see it. I see it a lot where I I definitely believe in a holistic approach and which our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors, our physical self and our mental health are all interconnected. And so oftentimes it's really interesting to navigate with folks, their sexual stories and how this is so socially constructed by, you know, family, religion, peers, media, porn, Yep. And expectations. And so there's so much going on that oftentimes in societally, we don't get the opportunity to even discuss. And so there's all these thoughts floating around about our own sexual stories. And so by not really exploring it, it can sometimes even play out in unconscious ways throughout our days or or while we're trying to interact with partners. So I think it's really definitely important to know our own sexual stories, how it was formed, who shaped it, our own self-concept of it, and how we relate to our sexuality. And so by doing that, it's really, what I've seen, it's it's really cool opportunity for folks when exploring the sexual stories, you get more freedom then. You're like, okay, so now, now instead of having this play out and not even knowing it it's occurring within an interaction with somebody even while dating or or while having a sexual experience, you can have more freedom and choice to say, these are the things I want to do or, or having language and, and about what we're interested in and, and, ha- and creating our own story moving forward. Love that when you mentioned that it's kind of multi-layers and it can kind of, we, we pick it up all around in different places. And sometimes if you're not pausing and looking at these stories, we don't know where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I kind of do assessment with clients, we're talking about this beliefs that they have around sexuality. And as we talk about it more, sometimes we are picking up this random ideas and thoughts without mm-hmm. us having any awareness of that, that right. like sexuality needs to be like this, or my body needs to look like this. And mm-hmm. we're not, many of these collection of thoughts and stories are not curated mm-hmm. intentionally. So the way it happens is like people, perhaps they're watching porn for self-pleasuring and they see something in porn and I think, oh, then I have to, it must, sex must be this way. Or they're mm-hmm. listening to someone else's sexual story and then perhaps they're picking up this, this narrative that mm-hmm. good sex is, uh, needs to be this way. Uh, it's just, it's funny that people are always telling me like, oh, so how many times per day or how many times per week I need to have sex to have a healthy sex life? <laughs> or like, right, you know, right. what is the right size for penis? All of these things that Mm -hmm. they're just so abstract, but people, because of the stories that they get, 
in our from society and our histories, then we develop this kind of narrative and story that might not work for us. So tell us some of the tell us about some of the limiting belief that you hear from your clients who are perhaps struggling with sexual dysfunctions. Yeah, no, definitely. I I when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about I see erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, or delayed ejaculation. And oftentimes when I've met with these people who have these views about sex and the sociocultural influence that have told us what sex is supposed to be like, folks with these challenges, they often have these amazing views. I've seen kind of this general theme, I guess I could say, of having to be these amazing lovers. And that's a lot of pressure. And so we're often told, you know, again, through media and porn, and even how language is formed, that, you know, when I meet with men with with penises and thinking that they need to be assertive and aggressive. And, and I hear a lot the word satisfy, satisfy their partner, satisfy their partner with their penis and, and only with their penis. And so that's a lot of pressure too. It's like there hasn't been as much exploration or about what other opportunities there can be within sexual experiences of somebody. So with all this stress that it imposes on somebody to be, you know, big and strong and firm and, and can go whenever. And then, you know, the movies and Hollywood say it must be spontaneous, but then you're ready at any moment and you can go immediately. Oh my gosh, that's, that's a lot of pressure on folks. And especially when, when we don't maybe even know the arousal template of, oh, I actually, before I become more aroused, I really want to you know, maybe connect with my partner, or I really like to touch them first, or I want to, I want to make out, you know, and so having the freedom to talk about this is so important, because oftentimes I see it as I've, I've heard, you know, men even say this tool that it needs to work. There's like this, (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, this isn't in the toolkit. I don't know. But it's, it's this, this idea that, that it needs to work. And then that we know leads to a performance based approach, which that's just, that's very distracting because if, if you want to engage in a sexual experience, you know, we, we need to be more present in that moment. So if all of these other thoughts that can be really distracting about how we're supposed to be this amazing lover and, and are we getting an A plus grade on it, then we can't really be truly in that moment and connected to who we're trying to engage with. And it's interesting when you talked about kind of erectile dysfunction and men being sex machine and like, I don't think even any, any tool can work on demand all the time. <laughs> well, like even my car, I have a brand new car and it's not working at times. So I can only imagine the pressure that would put on the guys. And yeah. you are functioning in this story that might not even work for our partner. Many of yes. my, if it's a heterosexual relationship, many of my female clients telling me they love to be like to have foreplay they like to have play and fun and that's sometimes what some of these men need or they would enjoy as well so with kind of this opportunity of pausing and not having erection on demand can create this space for people to have so much more exciting and connecting sexual experiences definitely and and I think you bring up a good point, too, about just anybody's arousal templates and what folks are interested in, you know, and and um, oftentimes if we're so connected and, and fused to these these thoughts about what sex is supposed to be, then it can be very dismissive to our partners, 
beliefs and, and ideas about what they may want to. And that kind of led me into thinking about kink and BDSM and kind of having more sex exploration in that sense. And oftentimes I'll even see folks who hear the word normal sex mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I missing something? What is normal sex? And um, and there's these ideas that, you know, oh, if I'm interested in, in this or what's not, or what I haven't seen in movies or maybe what some of my friends are saying, then that's weird or not like normal sex, which there's a lot of shame there. And we shame others and we shame ourselves. And oftentimes when I talk about, when I talk about sex and talking about what folks are interested in, and these views about what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate, all those things. I think of, this might sound a bit odd, but I think of taste buds. <laughs> you know, we all have different taste buds. Sure, there's groups of folks who love pizza. Sure, there's other people who love sushi. So I'm like both. And um, I love them all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's why it comes up so often. And so it's so <laughs> peculiar for me. I'm like, I'm like, oh, wow, I start thinking of pizza and sushi. And then I'm like, oh, a sandwich sounds nice. And right. it's always right around lunchtime that I'm, I'm coming up with these ideas. <laughs> and so folks folks uh, have all these different taste buds, right? But we don't shame other people if they're like, no, I'm really not into pizza or I like anchovies on my pizza. You know, why would we, why would we shame for folks for, you know, as, as long as it's consensual, as long as both folks are saying that they want to be engaged in this, why do we shame ourselves? And I think that that can be a big impact within our sexual attitudes and interests as well. I think that's such an important message. And I love the analogy with food because I think that's that's kind of similar with sex. And like, for example, like I'm not a pizza person like it, I don't like deep dish pizza mm-hmm. but like my husband loves it and I love thin cross and yeah. like you know we whenever we go somewhere and he want to go to a specific pizza place we always negotiate oh okay so what what kind of a place you're willing to go <laughs> to have that deep dish pizza and there are places that I like just amazing and I'm willing to give it a shot the same is with sex Right, kind mm-hmm. of perhaps maybe you don't think you you would like this thing, but right. the, perhaps there could be this situation, the circumstances that would possibly would make it satisfying for you. Obviously, you want to be mindful of your boundaries and right. not necessarily sacrificing your own self in the process. But my mm-hmm. experience is many people can benefit from examination and exploration and kind of like perhaps trying on what their partner finds pleasurable in the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. Definitely. No, definitely. And, and, you know, and that's as I think boundaries, like you mentioned, are important because that's another aspect of, of thoughts pertaining to sex. It's not, you know, once you say yes to the deep dish pizza, that doesn't mean that you're going to only have that for life. You know, you can, you can then say, okay, well, you know, tonight I'm not interested and that's okay. You know? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And I think the last folks that I was thinking about when you're, you're asking that question about limiting beliefs and how that impacts folks who are struggling with sexual dysfunction, I actually thought of religious beliefs Mm -hmm. and oftentimes folks are told specific views pertaining to sex and this could be due to religious doctrines cultural beliefs or among various other influences and i've i've met with individuals who experience challenges with that disconnect of the beliefs of them and now and even 
still having, you know, some traditional beliefs about sex and, and although there's, there can be some that can be very connecting with folks, it can also be damaging as well. And so oftentimes when I'm working with folks, I want to explore how we can simultaneously hold some of these views. And it doesn't have to be such a dichotomy between, well, this is what I was told and this is what I feel now. And there are some things we can, we can kind of, we can kind of have the opportunity to explore, okay, what works for me? You know, what is functional within my spirituality, within my religion, and then now who I am and how I'm exploring sex and the different messages, what works for me? Because everybody in the congregation, there's not going to be one thing that works specifically for every single person. And so that's similar to sex where it can be, it can really serve as a growth opportunity to learn and identify what works for folks and then modify and then also integrate accordingly to how you feel more free to evaluate what might be healthy for you now. So that was another kind of point that I thought might be helpful because I see a lot of folks who, yeah, really, really struggle with, well, I don't know if if this resonates with me and I'm, I'm still trying to navigate the process of that. And I'm so glad you brought up the kind of religious community. People are coming from conservative background because I noticed the same dichotomy at times. And kind of growing up, there was this idea that there are two categories of people. There are women who are moral and moral and they're not interested in cold and they're not interested in sex. Mm-hmm. And there are this all group of women who have tons of fun and living their life mm-hmm. <laughs> they are mm-hmm. not acceptable and they're not, they cannot be welcome. And right. I know that most kind of Western communities right now, these this their time and age, that's not accurate anymore. But I see it a lot in, in women that I work with with low desire. They've been such a good student that they've been absorbing mm. all these messages from the society that the good girls, they don't like sex. Good girls, they're not playful during sex. They're just like accommodating their partner. Many of these stories that they told themselves and they picked up throughout the the developmental years now gets in the way of them connecting with their sexual self and desire. And it's not like these desires were not there because we right. all are born with this feelings and emotions and desires and sensations. Mm-hmm. We learn to really good suppress it. So they're just right. completely disconnected from those feelings. And I, I and I think we brought up a very important point about kind of incorporating your spirituality in your sex life. Because when I work with people who are coming from more concerned conservative background and they're questioning these things, I always tell them to go back to your values. Mm-hmm, what are the mm-hmm. core values? And whether you're doing this or not, does it has conflict with your values? Yes. And oftentimes it doesn't. So I love that you were talking about people in different, even religious and spiritual communities, perhaps mm-hmm. have different values and one that one one behavior, a sexual activity that might kind of like be taboo or like not incongruent with one's value from that mm-hmm. religious group might not be the case with someone else. So it's important for people to examine those themselves. Definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. Sex can be an expression of so many different things and, and for different groups and different values. I love your bringing up values. I use a lot of actually acceptance commitment therapy and there's a values oriented approach. And so, yeah, it can be an expression of love and it can be an expression of playfulness or expression of, you know, 
consistent with their values, the sacred connection. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a really beautiful opportunity to integrate. So, yeah. So tell us about, so this is one part of belief system and this is part of our language. So Mm -hmm. tell us how our language may kind of sabotage and impact our sexual attitudes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. As a provider, you know, as I mentioned with the acceptance commitment therapy, as a provider who is really interested in the contextual behavioral sciences. So this idea of our, our social contextual experiences impacting us and we we don't learn within a vacuum and so with that there's the relational frame theory which is explains a lot of my thoughts pertaining to how language and the impact of words influence our perceptions our perceptions within the current reality or how we're interacting with folks or two people could be talking about the same exact thing we could go back to the pizza analogy, you know, but <laughs> and and have very different perceptions, right? And so relational frame theory posits that there's a strong empirical and conceptual relationship between language and derived stimulus relations. So oftentimes I see how this plays out when I speak with individuals who experience a lot of performance-based approach to sexual activities. And even the concept of discussing what is a, and I'm going to use air quotes here, but successful sexual experience Mm -hmm. or um, another air quote, real sex. And this can put a lot of pressure on people because I often see it if two folks are deciding between sleep after a busy work day or again, air quotes, sex, Mm -hmm. (laughs) their definition of what sexual activities they may engage in could look very different. You know, for, for one individual, it could be, oh my gosh, well, you know, in prior relationships, that was, that could be an impact and that could impact the language of what sex means to them, that that's an hour long task. You know, that's, we, and in even the, the kind of play by play of, okay, we, we first kiss or we first hold hands, we first kiss and then we make out and then we touch a little and then we, we incorporate oral and then, you know, it's kind of this very hierarchical structured approach. And then sex, even the word sex means so many different things to different people. The other person in the relationship could think, well, hey, I just, I really wanted to just do some oral, have, you know, a blow job. Like I just really wanted one thing with you. And this is kind of what I was interested in. And so oftentimes when I'm working with couples, especially, I think it's important to identify the definitions of what we're all talking about. So we can all be on the same page because language really impacts our perceptions of even what we're, we're agreeing to do with the partner. And so, so rather than experiencing that, perhaps it could be exploring specifically what we're interested in. And that, and that's really challenging. Even the communication around sex can be really difficult because we aren't, we, you know, we're taught how to talk about so many different things in life, but, but to talk about sex and how to be use, you know, respectful, functional, assertive communication about what we need. This isn't, this isn't talked about often. And so even the communication around it and then specifically what we're interested in and then, you know, that no, 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 I don't, I don't want to, be going all night, you know, I just wanted to connect with you briefly or make out or whatever. I would, I would rather have folks talk about it in that way because oftentimes they see an avoidance of sexual activities altogether. And this creates a lot of distress due to lack of frequency or feeling connected or feeling, you know, that there's an art to 
initiation and so often oftentimes feeling rejected by the partner when in reality it's I've seen it where folks are like, oh, well, I didn't know that's what you meant when you said that. And so rather than shaming themselves or talking about it in a way of, well, I just, I just don't want to do any of it, by, by creating more definitions about what, what we're interested in and what, how language impacts that, I think is really helpful. I absolutely agree with you. And I think this kind of at times, if we are more clear about our definition of what we're meaning, perhaps mm-hmm. we can have more kind of have more flexibility around sexual experiences. That's why in, in the list, I have this list of 101 things that people can do to spice up their relationship. And I include that like for everyone, three, four, every item, three, four descriptions, because in some of the lists, you see one word and it can include different things to different people and Mm -hmm. at times I get clients in my practice for example the partner want to have some power exchange in the bedroom or BDSM mm-hmm. and the other mm-hmm. partner kind of cringe and say, oh, I'm not into that. But mm-hmm. when you are kind of talking about it, perhaps that's some, the, the incorporation of kind of 1.2 version of what they're already doing. So it right. doesn't mean like they're going to this dungeon and having the kind of being part of this <laughs> elaborate right, scene. Right, right, it's just right. a matter of, okay, honey, so what do you, when you say that, what do you mean? What would it right. be kind of a, something that we can incorporate to what we're doing already and that's great. So I'm so glad that you're talking about sexual clarification when it comes mm-hmm. to kind of like our use of our language. And mm-hmm. it's not even with our partners. So sometimes I feel like the language we have about ourselves, mm-hmm. our body and our sexuality can impact our kind of sexual functioning. So if like, I bet many of our clients, uh, our listeners, this is a client all day, <laughs> many of our listeners are thinking about kind of questioning, does my sexual attitude gets in the way of my having an amazing, fulfilling sex life? How can one assess if their attitude is good enough or it needs <laughs> adjustment? <laughs> well, yeah, no, definitely. I think I think it, it definitely plays out when I meet with folks who, you know, their partner might mention something or they're experiencing individually some sort of sexual dysfunction and that could be, you know, unwanted painful painful sexual experiences or erectile difficulties or feeling very uncomfortable in sexual experiences. And so I often, I definitely use a values-oriented approach Mm -hmm. and I think of emotions like barometers. And so Sometimes even folks come in and they say, I don't even know what it is. I just feel so uncomfortable even about the whole concept of sex. So it's, it's like by noticing the distress that we're experiencing, there's something when an emotion comes up rather than, you know, suppression or avoidance or pushing away or just avoiding activities altogether because oftentimes those are our typical behaviors when it feels uncomfortable, when we're not experiencing, you know, the, the emotions we are able to hold pretty easily, happiness, joy, you know, all those. But but when we experience emotions that are a little bit more challenging to hold, that can be a really clear indication. Why what why is that emotion there? What's coming up? What is it, you know, as emotions as barometers, what is that feeling like it's incongruent with which value? What's going on there where and where is it happening when we're noticing these difficulties emerging, emerging with sexual dysfunction? So oftentimes, you know, I see folks who come in for physical symptoms. And then when we do some more deeper work, and of course, we, we address the physical symptoms as well. But 
exploring the thoughts and the emotions and the play-by-play of the sexual experiences can be really helpful because by assessing it and and kind of noticing why there's the distress, that can be really helpful to kind of navigate how the sexual attitudes have impacted our views and then why it feels so incongruent with what the actuality of the of the sexual experiences are. Yeah, I, I sometimes see folks who are ruminating or again, their partner, partner mentions something or they feel like there's a disconnection emotionally or physically with themselves or with their partner. And so by assessing that first and then kind of going from there in a, in a gentle way where we can even just approach the concept of, of sex can be really helpful for exposure initially. And then kind of exploring, you know, our own sexuality can be really helpful. Along the line of what you just mentioned, I always, people come tell me I do this. Is that okay? I tell them it's not about okay or not okay. It's a matter of whether it's working for you or not. So if, right. if the sex like you, you're having is fantastic and it's working for you, good for you. <laughs> Perhaps you don't need the adjustment. But if you right. want, there's something you want more of or there are things right. that are not working, then I think it's really important to look into what's going on mm-hmm. that kind of right now gets in the way of me having the sex life that I want. And right. perhaps when people at times when they hear about values, they kind of think mm. about kind of moral values or right. those kind of things. But that's not what it is, as, as you mentioned. It's more about what are some of the things that are at core of your being? What are right. some of those things that are really, really important for you? And the rest of the thing that we picked up along the way might impact our sexuality, but it's not, it's not helping us and it's not serving us to live our life based on the values that we have. One of the best analogies that I love and love from acceptance mm-hmm. commitment therapy mm-hmm. is the bus analogy. And I yes. use it, I'll use it all the time with clients in my office. So for those of people, for those of the listeners who are not familiar with that, it talks about its analogy of us driving a bus. And there mm-hmm. are people, our passengers in the bus, and they're yelling and kind of constantly, if they're yelling at you, they make right, left. And these passengers are uh, the sensation, negative memories that you had, perhaps the negative emotions and, mm-hmm. and the kind of, as you mentioned, could be pain, could be discomfort. And if we are listening to the messages of mm-hmm. this passengers on the bus, so we'll never get to the place we want. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly going around and around. But what's important is for us to kind of think about, okay, what's the direction I'm going? What's my values? Noticing those passengers and continue with our path. It's going to be hard. Sometimes they're going to be louder and sometimes they're going to be more quiet, but you don't have control over those voices oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what you have control over is the direction of the bus. And I tell people when they're in the bedroom, listen, Mm -hmm. who are these passengers in the bus are saying? They're saying, perhaps, you know, my penis is not big enough, my breast is not the right shape, oh God, uh, do I know what to do? All of those things that come up. But as you said, that it's important to kind of assess and say, okay, this is, these are the stories and mm-hmm. they're not relevant to, to what I'm doing here. And perhaps some of these passengers are the passenger I picked up in a relationship 20 mm-hmm. years ago. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. not even relevant to the current situation. So mm-hmm. I love acceptance and commitment. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, I love that. I love it. Oh, 
yeah, the bus metaphor is so wonderful. And, and I think you, you highlight a really good point. I was thinking about just the fact that what, what is the function, right? How do we know if we need a sexual attitude adjustment, you know? Well, okay, what is the function of sex for us? Often, I mean, yeah, it can feel really wonderful. You know, that can be one thing, right? But also when connecting with somebody or with ourselves, right? It can be as are you connecting in a way of I want empowerment or I want connection. And I shouldn't even say or, it can be both, right? It can be anything, right? And so, okay, well, if the function of this this expression of your body and your mind and your soul during this very amazing wonderful experience if that if if the function is to connect with the partner oftentimes these these attitudes these beliefs can really get in a in the way like those passengers on the bus and they can be like well you know at a deeper level well you're not doing a good job you're not you know they don't look like they're that interested in, oh, I just saw a yawn, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's, that can be really challenging when you get that, that feedback, too. And so we're reading into so many things because there is that deeper value of, I just really want to connect with this person. And then as we get more and more distracted by these other additional thoughts and, and projections of our own insecurities into the experiences that have been formed by all of these contextual experiences, it really just dis- distracts from our ability to be able to connect and, and the true purpose. And so oftentimes I say, okay, well, as, as that experience occurred, what happened? And then kind of say, okay, well, did, did you feel connected? You know, if that's, if that's really what you're hoping for, did you feel that? And if that's, you know, if that deeper value, that deeper need is not being met, then, okay, well then maybe let's, let's, let's have a more fulfilling sex life in a way that, we're getting our needs met and we're feeling like we're feeling satisfied in the way that we're getting our partner's needs met and we're exploring ourselves and this wonderful aspect of who we are as people. Thank you for that. And I can talk to you about this hours. <laughs> Obviously, we are both passionate <laughs> about this. But I've noticed that we are toward the end of our time. And I want to make sure that our listeners, they know how to get a hold of you. So, Dr. Mm-hmm. Molly, what are what would be some of the good places they can find you and the information about your practice? Yeah, no, definitely. So again, my name is Dr. Molly Winterode. And I am currently working at the Center for Sexual and Reproductive Health with Dr. Janet Brito. And you can feel free to email us. Um, we have a website, sextherapyhawaii.com. And so if anybody is ever out visiting Hawaii, um, sometimes we I get the opportunity to work with Dr. Brito and, and do some talks with her and we kind of travel around the island. And so, but yeah, sextherapyhawaii.com. And again, my name is Dr. Molly Winterode. So thank you so much, Dr. Molly. Yeah, Yeah, no, it was my pleasure. And as you were saying, I was imagining like, how would it be like going around Hawaii? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your time. And uh, it was lovely to have you on. And thank you for sharing all this wonderful information with us. Okay, thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you found my conversation with Dr. Molly helpful. I always find acceptance commitment therapy being a very useful tool to help individuals to change their relationship with the things in their life that's not working. And the first good step is noticing and identifying those stories 
and imagining and knowing that they're just stories. So you can just, instead of saying, I'm this and that, you can say, I notice I have a thought that says this. And if you're doing it frequent enough, you will notice a shift. Dr. Stephen Hayes, as we mentioned during the interview, is one of the founders of acceptance and commitment therapy. I have worked with him. I took his workshop several times. So that's one of the modalities I use in my practice. So if you are interested to work with someone to change some of those narratives, I can certainly help you, help you be doing that. Or I can connect you to other professionals that are working from the frame of acceptance and commitment therapy. Anyhow, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.